Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see you and also to be seen by you. I'm so grateful for the fact that the Lord would bring us together and give us opportunity to fellowship with one another, to worship Him in songs of praise and also in the hearing of His Word as we allow God to speak to us by His Spirit. And this isn't, you know, we say this all the time, this time on a Sunday morning isn't what church is all about. This isn't the definition of church coming into a building that sometimes people refer to as a church because we know it's not the church. And we also recognize that it's not just us as a people coming together as the people of God who are the church. Because Fundamentally, this is a moment in a, in a week. And so, this isn't what it's all about, but at the same time, this is an important, God-ordained experience that we as His created would sit under the preached word of the Creator. That is what God has ordained. And the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. The foolishness of preaching. So let's not underestimate what happens here on a Sunday. It's important that we're in fellowship. It's important that we are sitting under the declared word of God. There is something significant that takes place spiritually that we cannot explain in merely human terms. And so I rejoice and and I commend you for being here. And yet we know that we've got to take something away from this that means something the rest of the week. Amen? We've got to take something away from this that means something the rest of the week. Now, that's all the more pertinent and important when we consider what's going on in life, in our communities. Hearing of another young man who was killed, a young man who was making his way in life, establishing a a career as a model and otherwise, um, who was known to many in um, the the, the London kind of entertainment scene. and was known as one who had really nothing to do with gang life and all of the associated issues. I don't know the full story behind how he came to be killed, but I know that it was a tragedy. And it's one that is too often repeated in our times. Too often. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why we do the things that we do in terms of engaging with the community, engaging with those who are in such a place of destitution that they would be more likely to find themselves resorting to crime in order to even just feed themselves. Just before Christmas, we met a girl on the doorstep at the end of um, food bank, at the end of Barley Loaves, We'd we'd basically finished. Myself and Carleen 
had been attending to someone else, which is a whole other story in and of itself. And this girl turned up at the door and she said she was in Sainsbury's and she was trying to rob and they caught her. And so she just chucked the stuff down and came out. She didn't know that we were here giving away food. We said, look, you don't have to steal from Sainsbury's anymore. Come here and get free food. And even though we were finished, we had surplus. So we brought her inside and gave her a black bag full of food. More than she could have stolen from Sainsbury's. <laughs> Praise be to God. God is good. And so we see that God has placed us here to make a practical difference. I was in school this week and starting a new um, term, talking with the young people about the creative project that we're going to give ourselves to. What type of um, project do you want to you do? Ah, we need to do something that's more real. So what do you mean by that? Dipping, 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 shanking, dipping. Seriously, no, these are young people like 12, 13. They don't know what they're talking about. But they're talking about stabbing and robbing, dipping and splashing are the terms that they use for this. I said, you want me to help you create that kind of music? I said, look, I am not going to be responsible for promoting your death. They looked at me. I said, I'm not going to be responsible. I said, as soon as you put music like that out there, someone's going to test you. They're going to assume that that's what you're about. Whether or not for you it's just make-believe, whether or not it's just you pretending or it's you trying to give an impression, somebody will come and test you. Are you really about that life? I'm not going to be responsible for promoting your death. I said, I've buried too many young people that I've worked with. That's when they got quiet. And so it's important that we are in the community. That's why we have a school here working with at-risk young people. As a church, we need to do more than talk. We need to do more than just converse. We need to do more than just sit down on a Sunday and listen to the gospel. But that ought not to be suggesting that the gospel is not important. You see, the reality is that the gospel is the only answer. Romans 1.16, many of us will quote it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And so the gospel is what people need. Even young people, it is the gospel and a gospel that transforms and changes lives. And so, that's why we're here. It's not just talking. It's important. But it's also important that we take it and we apply it to our hearts. And we apply it to our lives. And we tell others about it. Because there is inherent power within the gospel. And so, with that in mind, it's um, a consideration for us today as to 
how the gospel actually impacts our lives and changes our lives. And um, at a time when people are being given to a detox, um, speaking to someone the other day and it was like, yeah, yeah, no meat for January. <laughs> Some people just on a fruit diet, going for that physical detox, which is good. I kind of sense that the Lord's got us in the place of being in a spiritual detox right now. And, um, you know, with that in mind, we understand that fruit is good and flesh isn't. Even on a practical level, but the true, the same is true spiritually. Last week we talked about recognizing that we're in a war, that we have an adversary. And that, that war isn't necessarily you know, things that just go bump in the night <laughs> and demonic activity of that nature. But actually, it's very much a war of propaganda where information contrary to the gospel is being piped into our hearts and minds constantly and has been throughout our lives in such a way that there are even strongholds within our own hearts and lives that have developed and established in such a way that has, is still affecting us as a believer. And my prayer is that as we kind of ex extend our exploring of this matter, how are we as believers practically to overcome? How are we as believers to see the, the transforming power of the gospel actually manifest in our lives in such ways that we would see change beyond those hardened corners of our lives where we just feel like it's, we, we don't even understand. We don't even We've got these issues and we don't even understand. It's just working at a level that it's not even just rational. It's not just, okay, I'm just going to replace some information in my mind. and then all. But it's, it's at a deeper level than that. And we have these habits and we feel like we can't break them. Help is at hand. And so we're going to be looking at Galatians 5, 17 to 26. And it, I'm just warning you up front. It's going to be practical, but it's going to be condensed because there's only so much time and only so much that can be said. And so I'm going to encourage you to take notes because there are going to be references that breeze by. And I'm also going to encourage you to look out for the podcast so you can listen back to it again and really think about what's being said and how it relates to you. So we're in Galatians 5, 17 to 26. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, 
fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit, inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are not just a school teacher or a lecturer conveying information in such a way that you leave us to try and work it out in our lives. But you are, you are that coach who comes alongside us and who is there to wake us up in the morning for our road work and who's holding the bag when we're doing our punch work and who's holding our ankles when we're doing our crunches and Lord, you are with us every step of the way, instructing us, informing us, but also helping us, motivating us, empowering us by the presence of your Holy Spirit the strengthener, the enabler, the paraclete. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that are willing and obedient to you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, the Apostle Paul is here writing to the Galatians, and the Galatians were encountering a particular problem. The Galatians were in a place where they were recipients of the gospel, they had received the good news from Paul, and yet having received the good news from Paul, there were individuals who would come among them to try and undermine the truth of the gospel. The good news they, re they received was that Jesus is the Savior, and through faith in Him and faith alone, you are saved. And yet these people were coming to say, ah, oh, well done, well done. You've, you've, you've heard of Christ the Savior, but don't forget the law. I mean... Savior, yes, but it's Savior plus. It's Jesus plus works of the law that can cause you to feel upright and right standing before God. 
And so Paul says to them, look, I'm astonished that you're turning away to a different gospel. Now we have to understand that's a, that's a gospel that we hear today, Jesus plus. Suggesting that the sacrifice of Christ isn't enough. And so, for example, the seven-day Adventists will say, Jesus plus, keeping the Sabbath. You have Jehovah's Witnesses who will say, a distorted Jesus, it's not even the real Jesus, plus doing your works of door knocking and evangelism and, and putting your quota in. So there's, there are many offshoots that would echo the same sentiments. And so Paul had to speak to the Galatians keenly, earnestly. He said, look, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so we see clearly that there's no justification through good works, whether it's keeping the law of Moses as a law prescribed by God, or even your own set of legalities. There's no justification. Justification, praise be to God, is through faith in Christ alone. And so then Paul rebukes them. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you're now trying to complete, you're trying to perfect this work in the flesh by your own ability? I mean, by the Spirit, you, you believed on Christ. But now you've come to a place where you feel that you need to kind of add to that in your... No, 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 no. That's foolishness, Paul says. And so, he emphasizes that Christ is the fulfillment of the law, chapters 3 and 4, that the law has a place, the law has a purpose. The law brings us to Christ. It reveals to us our need for Christ. Having come to Christ, we are now free from the demands of the law because Christ fulfilled the law for us. And so in verse 1 of chapter 5, Paul says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom. Praise be to God. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't let anybody put you into bondage. Don't, don't let anyone put you under obligation to any kind of list of expectations in order to be justified with God, to be right before God. It is through faith in Jesus alone. Amen? He who the Son sets free, amen to that, it's free indeed. But hearing that, it could be easy for the Galatians to think, so that means that I'm free in Christ. I could just live any how I want because I have faith. And so, hey, let's go. Mm. So that's why Paul has to kind of bring in the clarification. Look, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. So we are 
free from the obligations of the law. We are no longer needing to keep the law in order to be right with God. And yet, having been set free from the demands of the law, and, and I want you to think just for a moment as a side note what that freedom is. That freedom isn't, I'm now free to sin anyhow I want because Christ has atoned for my sin. But actually, it's a freedom not to have to sin. See, those who are under the law are slaves to the law and are fundamentally slaves to sin. Somebody who's not in Christ Jesus is one who practices sin and is a slave to sin. And so... Sinners sin because they're sinners. Having been set free by Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. And that's the true freedom of the gospel. And that's the true freedom from the law. We are, we are no longer obligated by nature to fulfill the dictates of our impulses by which we constantly break the law. That's real freedom. That's the real power of the gospel. Not free to sin, but free not to have to sin. And so this is what Paul's saying here. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, we hear this term, the flesh, and it's the first reference that Paul makes in verse 17 here. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Some of you are like, light bulb moment. That's actually in the Bible? That's, that so describes my struggle. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I ought not to do, I do. Paul said the same thing to the Romans in Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my flesh. Notice that. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You see how here he is Echoing the same thing that he said in the letter to the Galatians. Some say that was Paul speaking past tense um, as if he was still an unbeliever. And that is how he felt as an unbeliever. And I'm like, so then why would he say that in Galatians? That We just looked at it in Galatians 5. And both are written in the present tense. And so I would suggest that actually it's not speaking as... Paul as an unbeliever, but it's Paul acknowledging the tension of the Christian life, the tension that exists. There is this battle within us. There is this torment within us. There is this, this, this conflict within us. We want to do the right thing, but we don't do it. And we, the, the wrong thing we don't want to do, we're doing I wonder if I've got a witness in here that can really relate to that. And you notice it says that these things are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing 
the things you want to do. And so there's, there's this inward conflict, this inward sense of opposition that is constantly militating against us doing that which is right. It says that it's the desires of the flesh. Now, I'm going to take a moment to try and help us understand and appreciate this um, with a little bit of fundamental understanding. Because if we can get a sense of how this works, we are going to be strengthened and we're going to be better able to navigate our way through this challenge. Now, we understand when a person becomes a Christian, they put their faith in Christ, they've been born again. In fact, Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they've been born again. Paul speaks about this new birth experience in, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has become. So we hear this. We recognize that there's newness of life. We recognize that there's a change happen, but there's still this tension. There's still this conflict. So where does that conflict exist? Why is it even there? I mean, if I've been born again and my heart's been changed, where's the conflict? Why is this conflict there? One of the things I think will help us is when we appreciate that we have been changed, we are being changed, and we will ultimately be changed. The Bible makes it clear from the New Testament point of view that humans are tripart or three-part beings. We are beings that consist of three aspects or three dimensions. Yeah? We see here, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul again speaking. He appreciated, understood that there are three dimensions to the human existence. Spirit, soul, and body. Now, this is a clarification because in the Old Testament, they only had an understanding of a dual nature. Inward, the person inside, and the body. That's all they understood. And you know what? That's, people say, even now, oh, this is just... Paul using terms that are just synonymous, but we're just a two-part being. It's important that we understand that we consist of three parts. They wouldn't have understood that in the Old Testament because they never knew the new birth. They never knew what it meant to be regenerated. They never knew what it meant to be born again. And so they only ever understood what it is to live as a soul in a body. Hebrews 4 also tells us the same thing. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of what? Soul and of spirit. The division, you know, it distinguishes and defines between soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, speaking of our bodies. And so there is a clear sense from a New Testament perspective with the illumination of Christ that we now are better able to understand ourselves as human beings. That actually, 
The truth is, we are a spirit, we possess a soul, and we live in a body. Now, there's no doubt that the relationship between the spirit and the soul is, is very, very much um, connected. It's interconnected. And so, I want you to think of it like two sides of a coin. Two sides of a coin. And the coin represents our inner being. One side representing the spirit, the other side representing the soul. Pound coin you see on the screen. Now, in times past, the pound coin didn't have any edges. And generally speaking, there's, there was a, a consistent theme. The pound coin would have the queen's head on one side and then some kind of image on the other side. Um, hence the phrase heads or tails, because one side is always going to have the queen's head on it. Yeah? The, the image on the other side may change, but the queen's head remains the same. Yeah? Even with the new coin, new shape, the queen's head is on one side, and the image on the other side might change. I don't, I don't know the story behind that last one. I don't know if you can see who that is actually representing. And, and deck. <laughs> you imagine that. They're such a British institution, they would have put them on the power coin. <laughs> Add a deck, you know, on, on a power coin. <laughs> That's when you know you've made it. <laughs> I don't know the story behind that, but I know it's got a real mint um, logo in the corner, so maybe they're seriously thinking about it. Maybe they've done it, I don't know. And so there's this sense in which, in an unbelieving state, you have... Lots of information, ideas, and so on that goes on. But if you like the, the head side of it, and if we were to take the head as representing the, the, the authority or dominion under which that coin exists, in this case, it's the queen. On the, in, the, in the life of the unbeliever, it's the devil. You could just see a picture of the devil's head there. And no matter what information, no matter what ideologies, it doesn't matter how the picture changes on the other side, they are under the authority of the devil, spiritually speaking. Yeah? When a person is born again, the head side of the coin changes. And so you could say that changes to the image of Christ. And so now it represents that spiritually, that spirit has been renewed and is under the dominion of Christ. Now, the, the flip side might still bear the same image it used to. But it's subject to change. But once the head side has been changed, that is going to remain the same. A new creation in Christ Jesus, spiritually renewed under a new dominion, under a part of a new kingdom whose image we bear. And so, that can be representative of the spirit and soul. And what now ha needs to happen is that the tail side, the flip side, needs to now be modified, as it is subject to change. It now needs to be modified to correspond with the change on the back. 
it's a difficult thing to explain. That's why I say you're probably going to need to listen back to it. Now, there's another um, angle that I think is important for us to understand. Ephesians 2.1 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so even in, a, in an unbelieving state, although somebody is physically alive, they are spiritually dead. And you might say, but how does that work? I mean, they have a spirit and they're alive. Um, an analogy that has helped me, and we're going to put aside the coin analogy now, um, is that of a mobile phone. Now, you can have a mobile phone that is disconnected. No service. SIM cards in place, but no contract, no funds, no credit. And so although the handset itself is able to be used, it cannot communicate with the network provider. The most that it can do in terms of communication is to make emergency calls. Some of you have been in, you've been in that situation, you know that feeling. Walked around with no credit for months. <laughs> so the most that it can do, despite the fact that there's a SIM card in there, it is, it is a dead phone fundamentally. But it's not entirely dead because you can charge it, you can use it as an alarm, you can store information on it, you can even play apps on there. But as it comes to the essential aspect of communication, it's dead. Regeneration takes place. The phone's been born again. <laughs> Christ has deposited the funds in full. Everlasting contract <laughs> called a covenant. <laughs> Amen? And so now, that new SIM card is put in, new network provider, new source, funds in place, Phone is able not just to store information, light up, be used as a lot, but it's now also able to communicate. It's able to connect with the provider. And so, in many ways, the two different states, in, in my mind at least, it, it kind of helps me because you will have the unbeliever who's dead in sin. And even though there's activity and the lights are on, even though it seems as though someone's home, there isn't any communication with the creator, with the provider, apart from that which is the emergency, the 999, save me. The Bible says in John chapter 9 that God doesn't hear the prayers of the unrighteous. That's a challenging thought, but God doesn't owe anyone anything, especially those who would re rebel against him and resist him. If you are an unbeliever today, God doesn't have to answer your prayers. And yet, through Christ and the payment that he made on our behalf, connecting us to our life source, life is now given. And so... That change at the fundamental level, if you like, at the SIM card level is the renewal of the spirit. The software might be regarded as the soul, the apps and the notes and everything. 
and the hardware is the body. And so we are going through this process. Now that the SIM card's been replaced, you've still got all those old numbers on there that you ought not to be on there. Those old, those old links, that old plug that you shouldn't be connecting with. Those, that, that software needs to get rewritten. Certain apps need to get taken off and certain apps need to get put on. And that's the renewal of our souls, the renewal of our minds, Romans 12. Verse 2, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so as we renew the data, as we renew the information, the physical hardware takes on different functions. Hopefully, it's a very crude and clumsy way of trying to, to describe our experience as a believer. In that we can be changed at one level, at a root level, and yet still be in need of change. And so when the Bible talks about the desires of the flesh, it's talking about that software level. And even the hardware level. Physical instincts and impulses. Moral, emotional and psychological ways, patterns and principles. Sometimes referred to as human nature. On a basic, in a basic sense, it is body and soul, not spirit, body and soul apart from Christ. And so there's a sense in which, because of our history, because of our experience in life, we've been programmed through knowledge and experiences to react and respond in certain ways in given situations. And in fact, that programming by which we've, we've been accustomed to functioning instinctively conflicts with the spiritual rebirth or regeneration that's taken place within our hearts. And so even though that regeneration of spirit has taken place, we still experience the tension. Because we need to be re-educated. We need to be renewed. Even though we have been renewed, there's no contradiction. We've been renewed, we've been changed, and yet we are being changed. And our souls are being brought into alignment with the work of God's Spirit in us. So it's not even as if we're trying to be something that we're not, but we're coming into alignment with who we truly are in Christ Jesus. Amen? It's important that we understand and appreciate that. Now, we recognize also, and this is to help us on, on a, in a broader sense, that all of the ideologies and ideas and experiences of the flesh are common in the world among us and common in the world around us. And so even though we've experienced this inward change, as we go through life, there are all sorts of people who are non-Christian or even Christians who are, are in the process of change, who are reacting and responding in ways that might often be triggers for us to behave in like manner.
And so again, we experience the reality of that conflict, even as it is impressed upon us by the world around us. People have often said that the Christian has, has an, an enemy on, on three fronts. There is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And yet Christ has overcome all. Praise be to God. So as Paul says here, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to one another. And yet they're very real within us. And so please hear this. And, and, and understand that it means when you feel that conflict, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. You get yourself into that headspace where it's like, Lord, am I even a Christian? Am I even saved? How can I even think like that? How can I even say that? How could I even do that? Lord, woe is me. Lord, please, Lord, I just want to be saved. It doesn't mean that we're not a Christian. But it does mean that we need, are needing to be submitting ourselves to the work of God, the work of His Spirit. It's interesting here, you will note that the word spirit is cap capitalized, yeah? It's capital S. And ordinarily in the English, when you see the word spirit capitalized, it's supposed to be indicative of the Holy Spirit. People debate, is it really, should it be capitalized or not? Because the word isn't distinct for Holy Spirit as opposed to human spirit, it comes from the context. There isn't any debate in my mind because one of the things that takes place when a, a person is born again and has been regenerated is that the spirit of Christ comes to dwell in us. And so his spirit is present within us. And so... We are not reliant on our own energy and power, but his power at work in us. And so that's why it goes on to say, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, the Holy Spirit is holy, and he's not going to lead us in unholiness. He's not going to lead us in unrighteousness. He's not going to lead us in lawlessness, because he is the same Spirit of God by whom the law was written on the tablets. So the finger of God wrote the commandments on the tablets. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who, who activates and makes manifest the will of God. And so if you are led by the Spirit, you're, you are not under the law. So then Paul then begins to kind of clarify a, a, a non-exhaustive list. This isn't a complete list. He just gives, at this point, 15 examples that could be added to on and on and on and on. But he wants us to get a picture, a clear sense of this is what life looks like for a believer who is just living according to their impulses and instincts and fleshly mentality. This is what it looks like. And this is what you ought not 
to look like. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Well, and whatever else you need to add on to that that is contrary to the way of Christ. The thing is this. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, this isn't just a, a list of characteristics that you know, we can casually just read over. Because actually, if we are guilty of these things, then maybe we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Let's come back to that thought. Maybe on the, on the face of that, you would agree that we could maybe unpack a few of these, yeah? Sexual immorality, sexual immorality. Now, often that this is the kind of quote-unquote big sin. Adultery, fornication. Sex basically outside of the context of marriage. And so whether that's a single unmarried person or a married person with someone else, sexual immorality is a sin. It's one that, generally speaking, people, especially as believers, appreciate as being a sin, trying to stay clear of it. And yet, mistakenly, we often reduce our sense of what is serious as a sin right down to sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is a sin. And it is one that ought not to be characterized in the life of the believer. And yet so is impurity. In some translations it says uncleanness. And in that there's a sense of moral uncleanness, moral impurity. Not just in practice but also in motive. Some would go on as far as to say that it extends to practical or physical impurity. And so it modifies sexual immorality in particularly unclean type of acts or impure acts. You know what? It, it, it would be fair to consider that likewise. It would be fair to consider that as an expression of impurity. I think some people have taken it too far where they might suggest it, it, it justifies that phrase that we've probably heard. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Is that what this means? So if you don't hoover and mop your house every day, you're ungodly and impure and at risk of hellfire. No. I mean, being clean has practical wisdom and benefits. 
Many of us would say it's a necessity. <laughs> but it's not a salvific necessity. It's not one by which your eternal salvation is determined. <laughs> Unless you're Jamaican. <laughs> Too nasty. <laughs> I know myself. Trust me. But impurity, like basically there's, there's no get out. Sensuality, being purely motivated by the satisfaction of the senses. Um, sexual sensuality, but not just that. We see in 1 Corinthians 5 things such as gluttony and greed. Or the, um, in 1 Timothy 6, the lust for money and material things. It's a heightened sense of materialism and satisfying of the senses. Idolatry. Putting anything and anyone in the place of God. Normally, all sin starts with idolatry because in committing sin, we are putting ourselves before God. We are satisfying and obeying our own desires rather than that of God, and that's what amounts to sin. And yet, idolatry can be tangibly expressed in the worshipping of false gods. Sorcery. And you might think, you know what, like, sorcery? How would you even um, associate that with Christianity? I mean, clearly, if someone's into sorcery, they know that they're about the devil. Interestingly enough, the word in the root, in the Greek that's used there is pharmakia. And some of you, even upon hearing that, will kind of make the association with um, the, the common use of a similar word. Um, pharmacy, pharmacist, and that which pertains to um, drugs. On one hand, medication. On another hand, it could be illegal substances. But sorcery or pharmacia, even in those days, relates to someone using a substance to alter their state of consciousness. To alter their state of consciousness. And so, even in those days, they used to do those things, you know, whether it's chewing magic mushrooms or whatever the, the means were. Like, this whole kind of issue of substance abuse isn't just a modern, <laughs> you know, we think that, we, you know, life started with us. And so, there's no doubt that whether it's the abuse of prescription drugs or even the use of um, illegal substances, even those substances like weed that we would suggest, weed is natural, it comes from the ground, it comes from weed on Solomon's grave. Yes, it's, it's, just, it's just the government. It's just the government that's trying to oppress us, telling us why we can't smoke weed. Furthermore, I'm going to live in Columbus, Ohio, where I can buy weed over the counter. Just because the government say it's wrong or the government say it's right is not the issue. 
the Bible says. Using a substance to alter our state of consciousness is an act of the flesh. And it is something by which we can become enslaved. And yet he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so if we are Christ, then we are not to be enslaved to anyone or anything else. Because we are his. And so when we find ourselves in a position where we've altered our state of consciousness to the point where we're lacking the ability to exercise our will to the glory of God in ways that we ought to, that's a problem. And so you can see that as covering people like, where does it say you can't use drugs in the Bible? Take them right here. Galatians 5. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, these relational issues. Enmity is another word for hostility. That person who's always hostile. Or, or, or we say prickly. That's, that's an expression of the flesh. That's an expression of weakness and immaturity in the Christian life. Strife, contending, jealousy, being competitive, wanting what other people have. Anger. It's interesting because in some cultures, among Christians, anger is viewed as, and an, an, um, unrighteous expressions of anger are viewed as a much bigger sin than sexual immorality in different cultures. It's interesting how in different cultures we kind of polarize the sins according to our environment and experience. Often it's something that we just overlook as Christians, anger. Oh, well, I was angry. Sense, having a sense of competitiveness in, in, in rivalry, one-upmanship, Someone's done well, but you've got to do better. Someone shares a great testimony. Oh, but did you hear what I happened with me when I was out? <laughs> Expression of the flesh. Dissensions. Divisions. Always wanting to highlight the differences. Always wanting to be disagreeable. Disagreeable to authority disagreeable to, to leadership, disagreeable to what is right and true, just wants to be opinionated and draw people onto their side. You see, as we begin to kind of break this down, it, it, it begins to really expose us. Because we're all, we've all got these flaws in one way or another. Divisions. Bringing in falsehoods. When it uses the word division here, it's not just talking about, you know, highlighting or emphasizing relational differences, but it's talking about dividing people from the truth. Wanting to pursue these red herring doctrines and make a, a mountain out of them when then they're, they're, they're even less than a non-essential. Well, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian, you know. 
that is divisive to the gospel. Envy. A desire for something or quality or advantage or success that someone else, else has. People talk about the green eye monster. <clears throat> jealousy and envy is listed as two different things. Although similar, they are yet different. Because jealousy can be very much focused on desiring something that someone has. Envy can include that, but will also extend to, you know, sometimes you can just be just really feel really actually, I, I, I wouldn't say hateful, but you just feel bad mind towards that person because you just feel like they can do everything. They sing, and uh, you know, they, they write well, they've got a good job. They, what can't they do? You know, that's envy. When you're looking at someone and you're looking at their qualities and you're just despising them for it, as if it's wronged you. And you're like, I, why can't I even have half of what they, what, the qualities that they have? That's envy. It might even be the quality. I remember sitting down and realizing that I had a piece of envy in me. I was looking at this person's um, situation and the way that they were just relating to this person in, in this situation. And I was just like, like, who do they, they think they are? <laughs> and what it was is because I really wanted to have that experience. And you got that sense of bitterness and resentment towards a, someone, to a, towards a person's qualities. That's envy right there. Drunkenness, orgies. I mean non-exhaustive list of examples of those things that ought not to be characterized. In fact, these things are, are regarded as immature characteristics or characteristics of the immature believer. Or, furthermore, the person who is not genuinely a believer So, having considered that, will you inherit the kingdom of God? Hmm. We're all guilty, right? In so many different ways. And yet, here's the thing. When it says, I warned you as before that those who do such things, there is clearly... In the original language, in a way that is not communicated here, a sense of those who practice those things. So, it's not just momentary or incidental occasions, but it's people who repetitively, in an ongoing basis, practice these things. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so... If we see these things in ourselves, we ought to be concerned. And we ought to examine ourselves before the Lord. And like David the psalmist say, Lord, try me 
and know me. Search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Because I know that I still need reprogramming and there's areas of my life that haven't yet been renewed by your word and brought into alignment with who you've made me to be in Christ. And we must constantly be submitting ourselves to the Lord in that sense. But if a person is practicing this in on, on an ongoing basis, without a concern, without a care, justifying it in their own mind, then there's a very real risk that that person is not in Christ and will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so, consider yourself. Are there any things on this list that characterize your life? Remember, it's not just the sex issues. <laughs> it's not just the sex. Is there a lust for money, for, for success, for fame that drives you even beyond your commitment to Christ and your submission to the gospel? I'm going to invite the team to come back. And encourage you to just pause on that for a moment. I want you to pause on that for a moment. I want you to look at that list. And I want you to... Just think, where, where are your most prevalent weaknesses? Or those things associated with this list that are not specified? Praise be to God that there is forgiveness in Christ Jesus. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and do what? And cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so we may see these characteristics in us, but we ought not to feel as though all is lost because Christ has overcome he has defeated Satan. He has conquered sin. He has even conquered our very own hearts. And so there is hope. The expectation of change is not just one that God gives, but that God also affects. He brings about. And so in submitting your life to Christ, you are entrusting your being into his care. And by his spirit, he will help to mature you. Help you to overcome. Just as he does me. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.